Hi, everyone. Pastor Galen, lead pastor at Shine Hills Church. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We hope that these podcasts will be a real encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. You can also connect with Cheyenne Hills at CheyenneHills.org. Hope you enjoy the program. We are across the street and around the world. Cheyenne Hills. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. And, and we are in studio again with Nathan Winters. Thanks for being here, good Nathan. To be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here on a beautiful day, actually, today. When this is aired, who knows what it would be like. But today, yeah. I can look outside and say, wow, it's a beautiful day. So, have you noticed how much kind of rain fun. we've had? We've oh needed gosh, it so desperately, yeah. too. And it's trying really hard to get green right now. And it so still has wait. only moved the scale up to, I think, severe drought. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Seriously. We are in that much yeah. of a drought. Where I used to pastor up in Thermopolis, they're going through the Bighorn Basin, a massive drought. One of the worst oh, they've had in decades. That. Oh, wow. Yeah. I knew the Rockies were, were down on snow. I don't right. know. They've had some snow lately, but yeah. I don't know what it's going to take to catch up. Well, Don Day's podcast, he's explaining it. There is a clear La Nina cycle is how he talks about it and uh. different things. And so I, I'm really appreciative. You know what? That's a man that enjoys his job and he's made me enjoy looking at weather. Is that right? He is You're a good. weather nerd now. <laughs> I know. My wife, my wife is because her dad is a farmer and he... He's seriously one of the best weathermen I've ever mm-hmm. I've ever been around. He, he knows he knows stuff. Well, okay, we're going to transition to something. I, I I've been reading. I had a counseling session with somebody, and they were asking me questions about end times events. Okay. Oh yes. And so we, they were asking about the millennium and what I believe about the millennium. And I, you know, anytime you do that, it's it's risky because he's like, okay, I'm going to offend somebody because there's all these different views. This is my view. Right. I do believe there's a millennium. I think it's yet mm-hmm. future. I think there's going to be a tribulation time where God is is going to uh, to basically show reveal himself to the Jewish people. That's right. Okay? Yeah. Seven-year period of time. After that, Christ is going to return, and after that will be a thousand-year reign of Christ mm-hmm. on earth. There's a lot of questions I have about that. And so here's the question. So about the people that are born in there, and then how can they see Christ and then be deceived? And I've never known the answer to that. I still don't. Mm-hmm. However... I got to tell you about another story yeah. um, of a of a young person that has um, has fr- a friend that is um, that is uh, is identified. It's the friend is female, is identified as male, and then identified as they or them. Oh. I don't understand all I, what I yeah. just said, but I'm just going to say that there's there's some different identifications that. You know, biologically, uh, this person's female, and yet they've identified as male. And they means, I think, they have identified both male and female. And then sometimes they identify as them, which is, I think, male male and female. There's a lot I don't know. So I just... But I know that there's this idea that they can identify. And I thought, okay, so if you're born a boy or a girl, and if you can say that I identify as something that's not my biological right. sex, then that is deception. I mean, that it's is tragic a, too. It's a, oh, yeah. yeah. But that's a, a huge level of deception. And, right. and people were this other conversation was how can people be deceived that much? And I just thought, you know what? Christ is going to be sitting in the throne and people are going to be deceived. And it's the same kind of thing that I think Satan is going to deceive he deceived Eve, right? Right. He deceived. He deceived all of us. Right. We're all deceived, right. and we've all been. We have to go back to God's truth to align ourselves to what's what's truth. Right. And um, but to think that you're born male and you say that I'm identifying as female, 
or as a male and female or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not exactly sure what all that means, but I mean, that is deception right? on a grand level. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it helped me to understand, it's like, that's how the millennial kingdom, he's, he is a master deceiver. Right. Well, there, there's a lot to unpack there because you're right. Um, so when we come to the subject of gender dysphoria, there is a real situation. It is extremely rare where there are usually young children that are, that uh, don't know about the difference between boys and girls. And then they, they kind of have a certain feeling that normally fades away within just a few years. Hmm. There's a new phenomenon, which doesn't make a lot of sense. And they're calling it rapid onset gender dysphoria. Okay. As though you potentially could wake up one morning and feel as though you're of a different biological makeup. Um, such a thing, one has to just step back and say, that doesn't make a lot of sense. What makes a lot of sense is that there is a culture driving people toward the idea that they can have rapid onset gender dysphoria. And that is a cultural phenomenon, not an actual scientific or um, uh, psychological issue. And so trying to separate all those things out, one has to say that the power of culture in this kind of self-deception is is extremely strong and we were talking about that a little bit earlier about how the media leads the culture and it brought us back to a statement that we were talking about from erwin lutzer's book okay remember that one he made the statement i'll, I'll read it for you it says okay. the media not only reflects the culture but directs the culture yeah. it is out in front and we are expected to follow yeah and then he does a tremendous job of tying that with cultural marxism and the advancement of uh, what it, one of the things he points out is the cultural uh, Marxist revolution centers on sex, gender, and race in America. Wow. And uh, he says these themes play dominant roles in our lives and are especially impressionable on young people. Yep. And that's where you get that rapid onset gender dysphoria. Yeah. Um, sexuality promises pleasure and fulfillment. It's transcendent feelings of connection and value are the source of enduring hope and fantasy. It's the basis of our identity as male and female, as men and women. Sexuality gives us the privilege and responsibility of reproduction and the guarantee of future generations. Then he says it very bluntly. We are all sexual beings. However, the biblical teaching about marriage can be redefined, if the biblical teaching about marriage can be redefined, then the social order can be transformed. Mm. And then he shows how they go about doing that is through the word equality. Okay. Equality is something that depending on how you define equality is everyone believes in equality of pay, right? The basis of our uh, country is that all men are created equal. Right. I believe in that as do you and everyone else. The question is, what does that mean? And of course, going back to Marxism, they believe in equality of outcome. And we believe in equality of an equal playing field. Okay. And so we don't believe in equality of outcome. Um, we believe that everyone has an equal opportunity, opportunity to succeed. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's a major difference. But now they're moving that word into the realm of human sexuality. Okay. And then he gives a power, powerful illustration of how the media has driven this conversation. Because Galen, just 2015, six years ago, the question was whether we should have um, same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. And now it's a question 
as to whether boys should come into girls' locker rooms yeah. or whether boys sh should be able to race against girls with right. obvious biological advantage. Right. And so here's how he points it out. And do you mind if I read no, just this? This is fascinating. He writes this, and I'll just this read it Lutzer, verbatim. Right? Yeah, this is Erwin Lutzer yeah. in his book, We Will Not Be Silenced. He right. says, you may have missed it. I sure did. But if you had watched the 56 Grammy Awards, which, by the way, I don't do. No, anyway, I didn't. I missed know. it. So Yeah. He said, but this was on Jan January the 26th of 2014. He said, you would have heard the song Same Love sung as an ode to same-sex relationships. Afterward, Queen Latifah invited 33 diverse couples onto the stage. Gay, straight, all sorts of different kinds. They were asked to exchange rings, and then she pronounced them legally married. And then here's what was happening in the background. He describes it this way. The white outlines of the backdrop burst into a rainbow of colors, gleaming like windows of a cathedral. Hmm. Here's the next step. Madonna enters the stage singing, Open Your Heart, as the couples were singing, seen hugging, crying, and singing along with the crowd as they rose to a standing ovation. Then a choir sang the opening words of 1 Corinthians 13, which of wow. course is the love, love pastor, yeah. interspersing it with Mary Lambert's chorus from She Keeps Me Warm. Of course, this was an attack against the biblical prohibition of same-sex relationships. Yeah. As Robert P. Jones described the event, he says this, it was a direct challenge to the religious opposition to gay rights mounted in front of 28 and a half million American viewers on yeah. a Sunday night. Wow. And here's what we're talking wow. about. There has been a massive push from all corners of society to switch America. And, and later on in this phenomenal book, what um, he points out is that we are now the, we used to be the home team in yeah. American culture. Yeah. And we're now, we're the guest team and everybody loves to we, boo us. That is so true, man. Yeah. We are on the visiting side and yeah. that's, that is so true. You know, it's, you know, you read this and it just, it's sad to me. It's sad. Yeah. It said to me how I don't know. I, I guess as a pastor, I feel I feel like a failure when when I hear those kind of things. It's like, man, what what everything I've been doing the last thirty years doesn't seem like it's it didn't stick. Analyze that, working, you know? analyze that sadness sadness for me a little bit because I know what drives you is not despair. No, uh, yeah. or me or or any Christian. When you look at what makes a person sad, is that when a culture grows massively decadent. And begins to move away, yeah. not only from biblical truth, yeah. but from science and biology. Yeah. There will be a point where it will begin to fall apart, and there will be so much heartache and turmoil. Well, okay, so I'm going to throw out two things, and I'm going to yeah. say sadness because I feel like, man, what a failure of the church to have. You know, we're we're getting we're getting beat up really bad. It's mm -hmm. like seventy right. to nothing, and we're not That's we're not making. Like right that's now. how it feels. Right. And, um, but also fear. I mean, I fear God. I fear, yeah. you know, I've, that was something that happened in my life in my mid twenties. And I was shaking my fist in God's face. I didn't like the way he was doing things in my life. And, and I had an encounter. I'm not, not, I, I didn't see anything, didn't hear anything, all that. but mm -hmm. there was a, I had a certain kind of encounter and I will tell you, I was overwhelmed with fear. And I, one thing I, my prayer was God, please back off. I mean, I knew yeah. that I had tapped into something that was like, wow, this is real. And I don't, I don't want to go here. There was a sense of, of realness. And like I said, I didn't see anything. It didn't nothing, but, but I came away with this, what the Bible calls a fear of God. Right. So I live with my life 
not perfectly with fear, but I live with like, man, I fear God. I fear answering to God. I fear not speaking truth in, in a, in a plain enough way to right. shape our culture and all those kind of things. Those are some of the things that drive me, but there's some other things that drive me. Um, just a few days ago, this couple came into my, my office and they were in their thirties and, um, they were, they were telling me about their life and their story and blah, blah, blah. And they were both believers and they were, well, anyway, they were saying, they asked me what I believe about premarital sex. And I said, well, you know, here's, here's what God's word says, you mm -hmm. know? And, and I always give the, the example of first Samuel two thirty: those who honor me, I will honor mm -hmm. those who despise me. I will lightly esteem. In other words, God said, if you honor me, I'm going to honor you. If you, if you dishonor me, you'll be lightly esteemed. You're not going to be smashed like a bug. Right. If man wrote it, he'd say, man, I'm going to smash you like a bug right. if you dishonor me. Right. It's one of those go-to paths. I said, you guys, anytime you can, you can be, you know, honor God's highest, I don't know, gift mm -hmm. to a man and a woman in a marriage bond is that sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and when you honor that, I can tell you that honors him. Right. If you dishonor him, I don't believe he's going to smash you like a bug. Mm -hmm. And we have all these other things, all this different ideas and stuff on the stage. And, you know, I don't know. God's, I'm not the judge. God is. Um, but that's not his highest ideal. And I think we should strive for that. But, but this couple basically told me that they had been, you know, tempted and yet they've remained a celibate and they just want to know my thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, I sat there, I thought, you know, you guys are one of the few in your generation, you know, God bless you guys. Yeah. And so every once in a while you get these flashes of, well, maybe there's still a few out there that, you know, right. you remember that story where, where Elijah thought, Oh, right. You know, yeah. there's nobody listening. God. And he said, yeah, I got 7,000 people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. So don't, That's right. don't despair. So right. I, I think the pastors can get in that same place. Right. It's like, man, we're getting killed. This is, I don't think my words are going to matter. Not my words, God's words. I don't feel like it's happening, but, uh, so there's a couple of ideas. Well, that's but. wonderful because the, the path that you took, I too have had the same moment, uh, more than once, but a moment of genuine reverential awe when the Bible does call it fear. Yeah. And sometimes those on the outside look into when a Christian is saying that and they say, oh, they, they live in fear. What a horrible way to live. No, no, this, yeah, it's, no. it's a recognition. It's of a, a reverent reality. fear. Thank you for that. Right. Clarifying that. That's good. Well, because we serve a God who was the creator. He literally spoke the world into being right. That is powerful. Yeah. And so when you recognize just who it is that loves you yeah. and then you step back for a moment and you think, number one, I'm completely unworthy. Yeah. And then secondly, I love him. And I, I can't believe that one so exalted would love someone so abased. Yep. As me. And, exactly. And, 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 and understanding that and yeah. desiring to please him. Right. That's a, that's something that the well, you're you're talking about the Armenians. Right. They can't get over that. That's like right. they think that no, we got to have this this threat in there. And it's like right. no, you you show God's love to somebody, they they'll live up to yeah. that. Yeah, and, we're talking about the followers of Jacob Armenius as opposed to a person who is a citizen of the country of Armenia. But you're right. There there is there is a uh, uh, um, um, philosophy that comes through theology yep. that some would teach that is so wrong. And so when we talk about this, you're coming back around to the subject of human sexuality for a Christian, whenever we then look at human sexuality with an understanding of a love, reverence and fear of God, yep. a reverent awe 
You have to stop. We stop and ask the question, why then would he not want any sort of premarital sex or sex outside the boundaries of God-given marriage? That is marriage between a man and a woman. And that's because God doesn't view the human body as separate from the human soul. Yeah. Now, let me explain that. Obviously, when we body uh, die, die, our bodies go to the grave right. and our souls go on to its eternal destination. Right. But while we inhabit this body... This flesh matters. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. what we do with it actually is a demonstration of what's in our heart. Yes. It right. was the early Gnostic and Manichaean groups who uh, believed that everything to do with the spirit was good and everything to do with the body was bad. Therefore, it almost didn't matter what you did with your body. That's right. They completely separated them. Right. And so they could live this pagan existence and have this spiritual mindset. And then, you know, the Gnosticism means knowledge and they had greater knowledge of these things. It's like, it's a great rationalization mechanism. And in many ways, I heard a phenomenal Lutheran minister of all things. He was a teaching uh, a while back and it was just tremendous. He pointed out that much of what we are seeing is modern Gnosticism. Oh, wow. And, uh, that's really true. That actually stands opposite a reverential awe of our God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, to me, it's a, these are sad, these are sad things to see. It's hard to see, you know, and, and the deception is sad. Um, you know, I, I still, I think it's one of the main themes of my, my last year Mm -hmm. is just to say, man, we are really deceived. And, and I know we all are to some degree. We don't all have all the truth, truth all the time. We, we have reference to God's truth. Right. And we, but do we practice it perfectly? You know, there's no way I do it perfectly, but here's a, here's a, for example, there's a, not long ago, the guy came, guy and his his wife came into my office and the guy was basically saying he really believed that, that uh, God was telling him to, to date and, you know, to go outside of the marriage he just felt mm. like God wanted him to be happy. Mm. And it's like, well, I, uh, I'd like for you to show me where that, right. where it says that, you know, yeah. you know, God desires for us to be holy mm-hmm. and, um, you know, he hates divorce. And so whatever voice you're hearing, and I think a lot of times people th- confuse because we have such a strong rationalizing machines right? and you can, and I'm just going to add in cause I'm a pastor, I guess that I, I think Satan has a part of that too. I mean, if, if Peter can be deceived and speak, you know, to Jesus and Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan, mm-hmm. we're all capable of, of channeling, if you will, the wrong voice. Right. Right. That's so true. And, and we have to square mm-hmm. all of our thoughts through what God's word has to say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so for that person is like, well, I really believe, you know, God wants me to go out and have this different relationship than the one that I have with my wife. It's like, and he really believes that God is the one that told him. I said, well, uh, you, you're going to have to find because right. God hates divorce. Right. And uh, that's that's not. And so, but we can so convince ourselves. And so, oh, yeah. you know, whether it's convince ourselves, we're born biologically male and we identify as a female, uh, you know, and people have all these examples. Well, there are, you know, people that are tomboys and there are people that are more, more feminine and guys that are more feminine and all this other stuff. It's like, well, that... You know, and this, since God makes doesn't make junk and all this, it's like, well, listen, there. What about the guy, that the elephant man or whatever, someone that's born with some some major deformities? God made that. Per, you know, did God make that? It's like, well, as a result of the fall, and chromosomes, and we live in a fallen, broken world, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Mentally, not everybody's born with the same mental capacities, right? Some, right. Are, you know, and. Can God redeem that and make good come out of it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No question about it. We've seen that over and over again. Mm-hmm. 
but it doesn't mean that just, you know, you know, because someone's more effeminate or someone's more tomboy or whatever, that doesn't mean that God made them to, to, you know, it's like, uh, we're still, we're accountable to, to be to God for, I believe our gender and not to be deceived by that. And it may look differently. I mean, everybody's existence is going to look, look different. I get that, but it's like, we still have to stay within the lines of even the, the things that we don't fully understand. We still have to do our very best to align it with truth. Right. And that's, that's what, what I do because I fear God. Right. Right. Exactly. And so it's sad when I see, you know, uh, I have to have to admit it looks, it looks like those of us that are the evangelical world is, has kind of failed or getting trampled on pretty good. But you know what? The the thing to always remember is that we're on the winning side. Yeah. We are, today. It, it means that there will be challenges that will, that will arise. And, yeah. One of the, the, the sad things that cause me so much sadness is that people, especially in a decadent society, will begin to ascribe things to God that are completely opposite of what, how God has revealed himself clearly, not only in the world, but also in his word. Yeah. And what I mean by that is when people will say, well, God's highest aim, essentially this is what they're saying. I'm reducing the argument, forgive me for that, but I think it, it would hold up that a gentleman came into your office and his statement was that in essence, God's highest aim was his own personal pleasure and comfort. For sure. That's C.S. Lewis pointed this out in mere Christianity and it was in direct opposition to that. He made the statement, God's highest aim is not your pleasure. Yeah. And, and you look at a man of God from who died in 1963 and then someone who's coming in and lawyering, if you will, why the poor decision that he is making is somehow God's highest aim for his life. Right. And the whole point Lewis was aiming at all those years ago was God's highest aim is not pleasure in your life. God's highest aim is your sanctification and you're being conformed to the image of his son. And so when you look at that, God is the one who alone should receive the glory. And then you look at the way Satan appeals to our flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And people lawyer their way into saying that God's highest aim for you is the lust of the flesh that really ought to break all of our hearts. And it should break the heart of the individual who would make such an argument. But in the end, the reason God wants that is not because he wants your discomfort. What he wants is the absolute best for you to grow into the image of his son. Right. And so when we, when we put that in its proper context and we understand a loving God who loves us, but he is also a God whom we should hold in a reverent awe then our lives suddenly fall into place the way they're built to be. And there is genuine peace and genuine comfort, yep. not illicit, but legitimate. And and what I would want to say as we, we wrap this up um, is that I, you know, I hope people can tell from this. I mean, I think from the pulpit, sometimes people can misunderstand. But the thing I like about this format mm-hmm. is that I think people can actually see that it's like I, I have no ill, you know, feelings or I'm not angry with, I don't hate, certainly don't right. hate anybody that has a different view than God's highest. Exactly. And I realize there's a, we all fall short. Mm-hmm. All of us fall short yeah. of God's highest good when it comes to uh, morality, when it comes to putting God first and, you know, man second or the world down here. We all struggle with all these things. Right. And we all, we know that, right. you know, it's like, 
I like uh, what uh, Max Licato. He oh. said, what we are is beggars trying to help others, another beggar how to find bread. That's right. right. So true. It's like that's that's a mindset that, that I live with, you Very know, true. and it's like I don't have this judgment on anybody. Right. I, I, but I just des- I, des- I fear God. I know God's real. I know heaven's real. And I know that I desire for you to have the highest that God would desire for you. And I, I'm going to do my best to bring you truth. And some people accept it. Some don't. And uh, and I, I don't know. I guess Amen. that's how we go on. It's Amen. just part of it. So anyway, that's the end of our what a, what a lesson, man. We jumped through a lot of hoops there. I hope I hope Praise it was the Lord. helpful. I hope yeah. it, was, uh, it was good. Amen. And I hope that as you go out into your life and uh, you are strong and very courageous. God bless you all. Amen.